Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Wednesday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. An historic night on so many levels. The last 24 hours have been, well... Take a listen. There they go. Pitch on the way. He attacks and smokes one to deep left. This one's going supersonic. That is out of the ballpark. Whoa! Over the train tracks, it's 3-0 Atlanta. Thank you, Atlanta, for choosing me as a top candidate in this race. Thank you. Dansby, a rope to deep left field. That one's rising. Kiss it goodbye. A two-run bomb by Dansby. And it's 5-0 Atlanta on the strength of two tape measure shots. One from Jorge, one from Dansby. You know, Andre Dickens isn't, isn't going to be in a series. Um, you know, all of, all of this will be known in about two hours. I'm definitely confident uh, that Andre Dickens will not get more votes in Atlanta than I do. Back at the track, it's off the wall. Solaire digging around third. Here he comes. I think the polls weren't polling the right folks, and I think the polls might have been wrong because what we were seeing in the street and on the phones and what people were calling us saying is that they were no longer in that undecided 40%. People started choosing about two weeks ago. Freeman gives that one a ride. Deep central, and that ball is gone. Freddie Freeman leaves the yard. 7-0 Atlanta. Chopper out to Dansby. Dansby throws to first base. Is this happening? It is. The Atlanta Braves are world champions. The Atlanta Braves. Well, have there you have it. Show's over. Series. No, I'm just kidding. All that's coming up next, but first we do want to get to some other news. And there's a lot to unpack. I know that's a cliche that you hear a lot of journalists to say, but that is, there's a lot to unpack, so just hang with us. First, this, the vaccine advisory panel to Atlanta Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Well, they have recommended Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine for kids ages 5 to 11. It's now up to CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky to sign off or make alterations to the guidance. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration signed off on Pfizer's vaccine for kids 5 to 11 years old last week. So we shall see what happens. Also, jury selection in the murder trial of three men accused of killing Ahmaud Arbery, well, could be wrapped up yesterday, today. After more than two weeks, lawyers have whittled the potential pool from 1,000 people to the 64 needed to move to the next step. Our Lisa Aiken has more from Brunswick, Georgia. Lawyers in the case are expected to begin making their last strikes of potential jurors on Wednesday. So opening arguments could begin by the end of the week. Defense attorneys are expected to argue Travis McMichael shot Ahmaud Arbery in self-defense during an attempted citizen's arrest. Georgia's citizen's arrest law was repealed earlier this year. At the time, Governor Brian Kemp said Arbery was, quote, the victim of vigilante-style violence that has no place in Georgia, end quote. However, during the trial, jurors will be asked to weigh evidence in the case according to the law as it existed in 2020. Lisa Hagen, WABE News. And Lisa Hagen will be covering the trial once it gets underway. Now on to those results and reactions from Election Tuesday. Let's begin with the Atlanta mayoral race. All the polling suggested a possible runoff between Atlanta City Council President Felicia Moore and former Mayor Kasim Reed, with Councilman Andre Dickens a distant third. Now it appears Dickens will be in the runoff and not Reed. He's being called the X-Factor. So joining me now is Mr. X-Factor, Andre Dickens. Councilman Dickens, thanks for taking the time. I know you you had a long night. <laughs> yeah, indeed. It was a long night. I um, went to bed around 2.30 or 3 o'clock and woke up about 4 o'clock to get up to do TV, radio, and everything. It was well worth it to be able to make it into the runoff 
and for the Braves to become the world champions uh, that they are this day, that evening, was incredible. You said last night in the clip that we played that you got you thought the polling had it all wrong. Yeah. I don't know who they polled. Every time I knocked on someone's door, they said, I'm choosing you or I'm thinking about it. Well, uh, you get to the polls and, and they had 3% of the people choosing me and I knew that was wrong. And then when we make phone calls to folks, they say, yeah, you're in my number one or you're my number two. So I was excited going throughout this process. And, you know, I'm a scientist, I'm a chemical engineer, so I'm data driven. Mm -hmm. uh, we came into this campaign seeing the notes, the data related to polling that was from the past about my favorables and others unfavorables. And I knew I had a pathway. And so then we started to surge at the end uh, where folks that were undecided sure did start to decide once we were able to be on common ground like a debate or a forum or uh, some form of communication that went to everyone. Once people got that communication, they were able to see the stark difference between me and the other candidates, and they started to choose. And they chose me to get to 23%. Last night during WABE's election coverage special, we asked Kasim Reed about you as a potential runoff candidate. Here's what he told me and my co-host Dennis O'Hara. It's not about taking him seriously. I mean, we, we know what the data is. I mean, Andre Dickens isn't, isn't going to be in a series. So, I mean, I know it'll be fun to watch the early returns, and he'll have some good spots and some good moments. But, um, you know, all of all of this will be known in about two hours. I'm definitely confident uh, that Andre Dickens will not get more votes in Atlanta than I do. Your reaction? Yeah, I don't know what time that was, but he had it wrong. And the voters of Atlanta sure did choose me. And I have more votes right now with 100% of the precincts uh, already in. And uh, all the absentee ballots are in. So, And we're also happily beyond the recount level right now. Mm -hmm. So I'm moving forward, Rose. 27 days left, and we're already using up half of the first day. So I'm not looking backwards to yesterday. Let's talk a bit. Let's talk then about that strategy for the next 27 days. Not a whole lot of time, but enough time to get out there. Do you have to just re reinforce your message to voters? Or are you going to try and swing those voters from the other candidates? Are you hoping to get some endorsements from the other candidates that were in this race? All of the above. I have already <laughs> received some endorsements that we're going to reveal. Um, a lot of people were in the election cycle this time around, and those folks are now saying, Andre, you did a thing yesterday. You really proved to us that Atlanta needs this type of leadership, and Atlanta is selecting a leader like you. Uh, you really fought a good fight. You ran a good race, and the outcome showed that you are now in the runoff, so we're choosing you. So endorsements are happening all day today. Um, but particularly to the voters, this is a whole new race. It's one-on-one. -on -one. I don't have to wait 14 minutes to answer your question, Rose, in all of the forums and debates that you've been a moderator or host mm -hmm. of. I can answer these questions. We can go long format. We can talk about policies and delivery and implementation, how to get things done. You'll see the stark difference between me, who knows how to operate and lead organizations and lead teams, a complicated team like 8,500 city employees, and how to deliver upon the promises that you, you make. It's not just hypothetical. It's not just saying, no, we're not going to do that, or hopefully we'll do this. You'll see that I can communicate to the voters right now what a true leader looks like, someone who can actually uh, implement the change that we're talking about. Let's, so, yes. But let's talk message. about but let's talk about the voter then, because even with this race, Councilman Dickens, turnout was extremely low. I've heard people use the term. I'm disappointed, Rose, in the turnout. We're looking at not even more than 22 or 23 percent of the eligible voters in the Atlanta in, in this region that voted and typically sometimes in runoffs it's even you don't get a lot of folks coming out basically 
Does that concern yeah. you? Yeah, it, it does. It concerns me um, that we had such low turnout, under 20% or somewhere around 20%. That's disappointing. People need to participate in their process. We all went out there and did, I, I, Rose, I did not miss a single forum or debate. I, I know. 35. I was there for at least six or seven of them. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Y'all, y'all was tired. You all were tired of looking at me, and I'll be clear. I a little bit tired looking at y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never tired. Uh, but you know, I didn't miss. I was the only candidate that did not miss one, because I wanted the voters to be able to see their government, their potential government in action, to be able to hear what the plans are. We have sent mailers. I've we had TV advertisement. We tried to get them out to vote as much as possible. But here's the deal. Voters, we have to continue to express to them how important it is to have their voice heard. And that's uh, on us and that's on our other agencies, Fulton County and others, uh, DeKalb County. I would love this turn- turnout to be in the 115, 120, 130,000 people. Mm-hmm. Um, this turnout was about the same as the 2017 turnout, which was disappointing. And so I want Southwest Atlanta, who kind of underperformed this time, to overperform next time right. in the runoff. He's now, it appears, headed for a runoff against Atlanta City Council President Felicia Moore. We didn't get a chance to talk to you last night, so we wanted to give you an opportunity this morning. Councilman Andre Dickens, thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Rose, and I hope to be on your show many more times in the future. I I enjoy it, and I want your listeners to know that we're going to have a good, clean, honest uh, debate uh, over the next four months, over the next four weeks, leading up to November 30th. I'm sure I will be moderating at least one of those. (laughs) All right, thank you. Support for WABE comes from. The Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. Support for WABE comes from 100 Miles, a nonprofit committed to preserving Georgia's 100-mile coast. A landscape unlike any other, Georgia's coast is home to vital communities and people from all walks of life fighting to protect it. Help keep Georgia's coast flowing at ourgeorgiacoast.org. And Closer Look continues now. This is 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Lots of reactions, lots of experts, a lot of experts that got it wrong. Joining me now is Atlanta-based campaign strategist Fred Hicks. I'm not saying you were one of those people, but let's get into it. Welcome. Thank you, Rose. I'm glad to be here. Let's start with what I just finished with Councilman Andre Dickens and talking about turnout. Overall, Fred, very low turnout. Well, you know, as he mentioned, turnout was pretty much what we saw in 2017. So when you get close to 100,000 people participating in a municipal election, while the percentage of uh, participation is lower than one would like, I think given the apathy that a lot of people felt was in the air, it's kind of remarkable that we we, we approached 100,000 again in this environment. You got to think about this. This election is taking place in the valley in between sort of two peaks. One peak being the 2020 slash January 5th, 21 federal election and then the looming election next year. And so for all those voters who got excited, got engaged last year, they're looking forward to next year. This is kind of an in-between. And, you know, to us, this is a very important election. But, you know, we know that people tend to pay attention to the federal election and get really excited about that. So for me, always disappointing that you don't have 100 percent participation. But I was excited to see it get close to 100,000. Let's talk about the mayoral race. Let's start there because, again, and we talked about this earlier in the week with the polling projections and, and all the polls that came out. And early on, we saw it was going to be Felicia Moore, Kasim Reed, Kasim Reed, Felicia Moore, Andre Dickens, a distance third. You and I had a friendly debate about what those numbers really suggest and can you trust them? You heard Councilman Dickens say he always, along, all along, always thought that. The, the, the polling was wrong. It was off. Your thoughts? 
Well, remember we talked about internal versus public polling. That was a big distinction we made the other day. And certainly, Councilman Dickens' internal polling showed that he had a path. And the information that they released, particularly uh, or specifically last week, showed him trending and showing him neck and neck to slightly ahead of Kasim Reed. So his internal polling uh, sounds like it was pretty spot on, but the public polling that was out there was, uh, was off. And I, I do want to say this, that the last major public poll was prior to the last 10 days. And there was a lot of movement and a lot of activity from the displaced seniors or almost displaced senior citizen um, and Ms. Dar- named Ms. Darden mm-hmm. to the NAACP coming out against Kasim Reed and all the other activities in the last week. So what we didn't see, or at least I didn't see, a major poll that happened, independent poll that happened after those major events. So what I'll tell you is that what I was hearing when I was having brunch in Kirkwood <clears throat> or talking to people up here in Buckhead was that after, and this is in real time, so in the last 10 days, oof, you know, I saw that video of Ms. Darden, oh, I saw the NAACP, oh, I, I saw the orange jumpsuit and this whole, the billboard and all of that. I, I, and, I and for our listeners who may not be sure. familiar, though, Fred, for our listeners who may not be familiar with that billboard, the orange suit, there was a, obviously it was a Photoshop uh, and fake graphic, let's be very clear about this, of Kasim Reed in the orange jumpsuit in like a mugshot type, you know, picture. Correct. I'm sorry. Yes. So there was that. There was a billboard that said anyone but Kasim. There was a mailer that people received on Monday and Tuesday of this week saying that Kasim Reed can't fight corruption, uh, can't fight uh, crime in the streets when he's fighting. He'll be fighting in court. Um, and so things of that nature. So there was a lot that happened in these last 10 days. It was all anti Kasim Reed. And there wasn't a poll that was issued during that time, a major independent poll that would have captured that. So I do want to put that in perspective, not in defense of the industry, but to give it proper context that a lot happened in those last 10 days. Let's talk about then strategy. I mean, you're not working with either candidate and and hopefully you won't be so we can have you on these next few weeks. But if you do, you better let us know because I can't have you on. But if you are looking at strategy uh, for both candidates, because it appeared that you would have to continue with this campaign against not why voters shouldn't elect, you know, Mayor Kasim Reed again. So what's the strategy here? So this is fascinating from where, where I sit. So. The entire November 2nd election was a referendum on Kasim Reed and whether or not he should have an opportunity to compete for a third term. So that's out of the way. Now, for the first time, we'll see both campaigns fully, uh, the Dickens and the Felicia Moore campaign, really go forward in articulating a vision about themselves. Now, they did it to an extent, but I would say 75, 80 percent of all the communications uh, from across all the all the non-Kasim Reed campaigns were about not allowing Kasim Reed to get another time mm-hmm. term. So this will be interesting. We might actually see nice voter engagement because uh, you have the potential to not necessarily engage in so much negative negativity and actually articulating a vision. So I think the first question in my mind is Felicia Moore has a very strong base. We saw it in 2017 when she won, when she beat Alex, uh, Alex Wan um, to become city council What's a president. strong base? What do you mean in terms of what's her strong base? Break that down so for she has listeners. A, she has a strong, she has a high number of people who are faithfully hers. And so what I, well, how I define the base when I'm talking to my candidates is that's a group of people who are yours no matter who is in the race. They are yours unequivocally, unquestionably. And so looking at her performance, if you map 2017 and map what happened last night, she is a very strong candidate. So that's one side. But then the other side of it is Andre Dickens uh, surged and he has all the momentum going into this. And he knocked out you know, Kasim Reed, and he edged him by, what, six, seven hundred, a thousand votes, something like that, whatever the final tally will be. So you have someone who has a consistent block of voters who are theirs. You have someone who has a ton of momentum. And so what happens now, I think, will be fascinating. So, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting. One thing I will say is that uh, ignore DeKalb at your own peril. Uh, we saw it again last night. Why? Uh, DeKalb. Why? Well, you know, city of Atlanta candidates, and I've seen this happen over and over over the 13, 14 years I've been doing stuff in the city, they forget that there are 30, 40, 50,000 voters in DeKalb County who are in the city of Atlanta. And so they tend not to campaign over there. And if you look at the results last night, it wasn't until DeKalb came in that Kasim Reed fell behind Andre Dickens. And then you look at what happens in some of the other races, city council president, all of that, you see that DeKalb played a significant role in that election, uh, in those elections. 
And so my, my one advice. But it appears, but it appears the cab is what put Madeline Archibong over Courtney English for that second spot. It is. It is what took her over Liliana Bakhtiari in 2017. Mm-hmm. She lost Fulton pretty handily. So are you telling folks to avoid the cap, that that portion? No, no, no. Of- I'm saying avoid it at your own peril. Oh, OK. Saying, Do not avoid it. Engage oh. the cap. The cap has a lot to say about these elections. I apologize. And Fred, you got to be clear. You know, we all been up late and tired. We have it. I apologize about that. So I think it's going to be this mayoral election is going to be fascinating. I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing how uh, how each campaign moves forward. Now that Kasim Reed is out of the way for them, how do they define themselves? Um, and then in the case of you know Felicia Moore, as the council president, you appoint the committee chairs. So can she really attack Andre Dickens when she appointed him to committee chairs? Andre Dickens, she you, he, she appointed you to those for committee chairs. How do you address that? And how do you address her record? And then let's not forget that we've never had a city council president ascend to the office of mayor. So Felicia Moore is endeavoring to make history. If she wins this, she'll be the first ever to do it. Uh, Marvin Arrington did not do it. Rob Pitts did not do it. Cesar Mitchell did not do it. Lisa Borders did not do it. And so she would be the first to actually do that. So this is this is a fascinating runoff. Real quickly, what else stood out to you in terms of not even just in Atlanta, but around the region? What races might have raised you, might have caused you to raise some eyebrows or were surprising? So what was really exciting was that the East lost, the education lost all across the region passed. So Cherokee, Atlanta and things of that nature. So coming out of the pandemic and all the debate around critical race theory, it was great to see voters overwhelmingly support funding for public education. That was fantastic. Uh, we also saw down in Henry County the passage of a T-SPLOS that should generate about $250 million down there. So that was great. Um, and then as far as actual local elections, uh, you one of your frequent guests down there at East Point, uh, Dina Holiday Ingram, mm-hmm. she was opposed by one of her council members, and she got about 77% of the vote. So that was really exciting to see that. Um, and then we looked up to, on the flip side of it, and Sandy Springs and Johns Creek, both of which have been trending more blue mm-hmm. lately and are now representing the legislature by Democrats, they went hard right. And so that's going to be something very interesting to see. And we take it into context, and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about this later or some other time, look at what happened with New Jersey and Virginia. Now we start looking ahead to 22. I know we have November 30th, mm-hmm. but we start looking ahead to 2022 when you have Johns Creek, Sandy Springs, Virginia, and potentially New Jersey all going red. That's interesting for next year. Absolutely. And we focused on that just a little bit last night, but we'll definitely get into that because, look, 2022 is just around the corner. And those are conversations we'll definitely have. Atlanta-based campaign strategist and OG demographer Fred Hicks. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. Be great. All right, Al. And Closer Look continues now. This is 90.1 WABE. I'm Rose Scott. The Atlanta mayoral race isn't the only contest headed to a runoff. Who will lead the city council will also be decided by a runoff. And that race, of course, includes now Councilmember Natlin Archibald and Doug Shipman. We'll get their thoughts on a few more weeks of campaigning. Let's begin with Doug Shipman. Doug, welcome to the program. Thanks, Rose. Always nice to be here. Uh, your thoughts on, I guess, just the results and now what you got to do, what you still got to do. Well, it was an exciting night uh, to be a first-time candidate and to get the most votes, um, to be able to build a citywide coalition, um, to be able to take my daughters into the voting booth. They couldn't touch the screen, but for them to be able to see their dad on the on the ballot, uh, it was a great night. And I'm looking forward to the next four weeks to uh, make our case for being the next city council president. All right. So how do you do that? Well, I think we continue to do exactly what we've done. I I think I knocked on about 4,000 doors personally and talked to voters all over the city. Our campaign knocked on tens of thousands. And we went directly out all across neighborhoods, all across um, uh, groups and heard from them. Uh, Interestingly enough, the city, I think, is very aligned on the issues across neighborhoods that people care about. Public safety came up, infrastructure came up, city services came up, really being able to see the city be responsive uh, and so I think we just continue to make the case as to, you know, how my experiences specifically address that moment. We're growing as a city. That's not the question. The question is how we grow and how we make sure that 
we don't leave anybody behind. We had 25% poverty coming into COVID, and that, that issue is on a lot of voters' minds. How do you get folks to come back out? Sometimes folks, you know, their their candidate of choice did not make it. Maybe they stay home. Some say, well, you know what, I'll just see what happens, and whatever happens, happens. How do you get, how do you motivate folks to come back out? You know, my perspective on politics is that folks really vote when they feel as if they are invested and they feel like there's really something that's going to impact their life on a daily basis. You know, COVID opened up, I think, a lot of people's eyes to the condition of their parks, the condition of their sidewalks. A lot of people quoted to me how long their yard trimmings had not been picked up. You know, they knew that number of, of weeks. And so I think it's making the case about how it is that city leadership and the city itself can really impact people's lives. I think that is what people want to hear about. They don't want to hear about bios. They don't want to hear about, you know, accomplishments. They want to know what's in it for them. And I think all of us, city council president, mayoral candidates, we have some district runoffs. I think all of us are, it's really incumbent on us to make the case of how it matters in people's lives. Are you going to be seeking more endorsements? Absolutely. Does that matter, you think, still? I think I think that it, it matters that folks see that you can build a coalition of support, because especially in the city council president role, that is about building coalitions. It's about building bridges. And so I, I think people want to see that you can do that as part of a campaign. And I think people are also looking at folks that they respect to see their opinions. And so I do think endorsements matter. And we certainly will be reach out to folks seeking support um, from folks from all kinds of backgrounds. Your opponent in this runoff has a lot of experience as an elected official, has been a member of city council for, I think, maybe about two decades now. Uh, how do you set yourself apart from council member Archibong, who has the experience, who may have the, even the, the name recognition in terms of, you know, voters who understand city government? How do you set yourself apart? So I have throughout this um, this campaign been showcasing, you know, the fact that I have led um, major organizations in Atlanta, both in the nonprofit sector and the private sector. I think being in that leadership role teaches you a lot of skills. It also gives you the ability to play that oversight role that is so important um, that the city council president plays with the city and with the mayor. Um, and so I think throughout this campaign, we'll be, you know, for the next four weeks, we'll be we'll be talking about what I think are my very unique experiences that match this moment. I think people want fresh leadership. I think that they're very frustrated with many ways in the way that the city has um, been operating and not been fulfilling some basic services. And so I'm going to be presenting why I think my experiences are quite unique and, and match the moment. All right, Doug Shipman in a runoff with Councilmember Natlin Archibald. Doug, I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. Thanks, Rose. Appreciate it. Well, now let's turn to Councilmember Natlin Archibald. We spoke to her last night. We're going to talk to her again, just like we did with Doug. Uh, Councilmember Archibald, thanks for taking the time. My pleasure, Rose. Thank you so much. It appeared at one point last night when those results were coming in that it was going to be Courtney English and Doug Shipman. Then as the cab, the the cab portion of voters who could vote for, for this election, for this race, those results started coming in. And it appears that is what put you past Courtney English. What do you make of that? Well, I make of it that uh, DeKalb matters uh, and the returns from DeKalb County, the early returns with just the early vote as well as the uh, absentee ballots. And so those returns have finally uh, come in from DeKalb County. And I think it's a reminder that we need to wait until every vote is counted. Every voter matters. And so I'm excited now that the unofficial tally has been submitted and so we know exactly uh, who will be in this runoff. I'll ask you the same question I've been asking the candidates so far on this program. You know, how do you mobilize, energize folks to come back out for the runoff, particularly folks who maybe didn't vote for you in this election? You know, this is a very, very important election. We're trying to get out of this pandemic. We've had some horrific things face the city and so it is time for the voters to stay engaged and to come back to vote. And so I'm going to just continue to push the message of how important elective office is, how important experience is to having a city that uh, is led in times of crisis and beyond. And so uh, I am going to just spend these next 27 days uh, doing what I've been doing for the past seven months and, and frankly, the past 20 years, and that's just engaging people uh, and then sharing my vision for the city. 
As I just shared with your opponent, you have experience on the city council, but there have been some criticisms that, you know, you all are, let's be really clear, you are a part of city government. You are a legislative body. But how do you convince voters that you all will actually work with whomever the next mayor is going to be? And it doesn't appear to be this heavy power power struggle between the, the mayor and, and the city council. Well, you know, to get elected five times, you have to have a track record of accomplishment. So I'm very confident that I can uh, share that message with the voters and they can see that experience is important. And as it relates to dealing with the new administration, uh, the two that I understand are in the runoff, which would be um, two people that I have worked with and have a very good rapport with. So I don't see any barriers or hindrances to our being able to move an agenda forward. They've both been city council members and they both respect our legislative body. And I think that's just gonna be an amazing difference for us. And when people are looking for change, I think change is uh, inevitable. And we will have uh, many new council members and we will now have the opportunity to elect a council president who is experienced, who knows the legislative body and can help us do what we need to do to get our city back on track. So is that going to be the sole message for folks that you're going to focus on with the experience? As a, Because the issues are going to be the issues no matter whom is elected, city council president or the mayor. Those issues still are going to be there. Public safety, affordable housing homelessness, all of that. But you have to convince them in terms of as your Atlanta City Council president, this is what I'm committed to do. How do you how do you convince them of that? Well, I start with the experience that I have had, the ability to uh, get things done that have been difficult. I'm not going to be talking about things from a theoretical perspective. I am going to be talking from an evidentiary. You can check my record perspective of accomplishments. And see, it's easy to look on the outside and say, all we need is this great idea. But government is complex and experience helps you navigate. And there's nothing in being experienced that prevents you from accepting innovative, transformative ideas. And so we're going to work through a city that is now in that transformation space with an experienced leader over council. And I just think that's simply a win-win. And I think the voters will understand that we cannot leave a job this important for on-the-job training for a novice who's never held elective office before. And then finally, is it already now for you to hit the ground running again? Are you knocking on doors and hitting the campaign trail after this interview? Absolutely. I've been uh, not knocking on doors. It was a sleepless night. Uh, returns came in. DeKalb just came in a few minutes ago. Uh, but I have been making phone calls. And yes, ma'am, we are hitting the streets immediately. All right. Atlanta Councilmember Natalyn Archibong in the runoff for Atlanta City Council President. Councilmember Archibong, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you. Thank you. There they go. Pitch on the way. He attacks and smokes one to deep left. This one's going supersonic. That is out of the ballpark. Whoa! Over the train tracks, it's 3-0 Atlanta. Pretty deep. Dansby, a rope to deep left field. That one's rising. Kiss it goodbye. A two-run bomb by Dansby. And it's 5-0 Atlanta on the strength of two tape measure shots. One from Jorge, one from Dansby. Back at the track, it's off the wall. Soler digging around third. Here he comes. Freeman gives that one a ride. Deep central, and that ball is gone. Freddie Freeman leaves the yard. 7-0 Atlanta. Chopper out to Dansby. Dansby throws to first base. Is this happening? It is. The Atlanta Braves are world champions. The Atlanta Braves have won the 2021 World Series in six games over the Houston Astros. Wow. Pure euphoria down on the field <laughs> as they're bouncing all what over feeling. the infield. 26 years the from the last World Series title, the Atlanta Braves are champions. WABE's Emil Moffitt has been covering the team in the postseason. Emil, what a night. It was an incredible scene uh, in Houston and an incredible scene in and around Truist Park. 
uh, up in Cobb County as uh, just uh, an extraordinary accomplishment for this team um, from where they were in August to where they ended up in uh, the first couple of days of November is just truly remarkable. One of the, the great comeback stories in the history of baseball. Let's talk about where they were in August. And, and actually, you can even start before August because there, there were tweets. There were people saying, I'm done with this team. Oh, no, now another, another injury, not another situation. Okay, let's just wait. When do pitchers and catchers report for spring training next year? That's what people were thinking. It was very, very bleak here in July and even even into late July uh, when you had the injuries um, and and you just had the team that was just scuffling along. It was they would win one, they would lose one, they would win one, they would lose one. They were never able to go on the kind of streak that that gets you five, ten games above five hundred. But the, the good thing for the Braves is, is that you had uh, both the Mets and the Phillies kind of come back down to earth after they had good starts to the season. And that allowed the Braves to still have that enough runway to be able to uh, win the East and get into the playoffs. And, and by that point, they were really playing well and they had made the additions of, of the outfielders that they picked up midseason. And that, the, those guys really helped propel them into the playoffs. And, and then we see what happened from there. Let's talk about those players that they picked up, you know, for listeners who may not quite understand why that was so important. And and you look at a guy like, let's start with Eddie Rosario, who, first of all, was hurt. We had to wait for him to be healed in order for him to start to contribute. Yeah, and once he did, uh, he really made a, a big difference. And then you had also Jock Peterson and Jorge Soler, who ended up being the, the World Series MVP. Uh, you also had Adam Duvall, who... Uh, is back with the team after signing with the Marlins as a free agent over the offseason. So he was brought back as well. And you got to remember that uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. Uh, was out for the season. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people thought that was uh, that was the, the end for the Braves in 2021. Uh, but little did they know that, um, that the Braves would be able to go out and get such quality talent um, so quickly and have them all pan out. You know, you don't often see midseason trades that result mm-hmm. in both the National League uh, Championship Series MVP and the World Series MVP, but that's exactly what happened here. Let's talk about another guy who's been with the, the team now for uh, 11 years, Freddie Freeman. And, you know, look, I know folks got upset when Joe Buck made the call and and ended it by saying the last time, possibly the last time we could see Freddie Freeman in a Braves uniform. Boy, the tweets went off on that one. Like, Joe, can't you just make the call? But look, he's doing his job. Because it is true. It could be, but we don't know. What about this moment for Freddie Freeman? I think it's an incredible moment for him. You, you see so often today in professional sports where guys move around from team to team and you're ultimately, it's the Jerry Seinfeld joke, you're cheering for laundry. You're not cheering for, <laughs> for players or human beings. You're cheering for the team uniform. And, and it's so refreshing to see a guy who's been with the team for so long. And, you know, I think there's a, a, a notion that, that both the Braves and, and Freddie Freeman uh, want to work out a new deal to where he can stay here and possibly end his career here because he's been such a great ambassador for the team and mm-hmm. great face to the franchise. And I think getting a few more years out of him, I think he still has a couple of years of, you know, pr- uh, production left um, to where he could be a real leader on this club, veteran leader, and kind of help them propel some of the success they had this year into into future we got a clip from freeman last night let's take a listen we lost 97 games in 2015 and six years later we're world champions um that's extremely hard to do and what this organization the front office did um to do that and it's special it's a special group what do you make of that he was right because he was there doing those i don't want to say lean years but he was there during the awful years (laughs) Let's just be really clear. Yeah, and and I think that that helps him appreciate what happened last night and what's happened the last two months a lot more than perhaps um, a a player that's been through, had a lot of success and has been to postseason um, and been deep into the playoffs uh, for, you know, 10, uh, 15 years. Uh, It's just been relatively recently that, that Freeman has been able to enjoy the type of success. And he said it last night and he said it before. You go to spring training every year hoping 
that this is the year that you win the World Series. And when it finally arrives, he said last night, he just feels numb. He didn't even know how to describe how he was feeling. He mm-hmm. said he probably won't hit him until he comes back uh, to Atlanta and, and we had the big celebration here. Let's talk about uh, the skipper and, and Brian Snitker. And, you know, you and I were chatting and during this game and talking about how he talked about the influence and how important Hank Aaron was to him. Yeah, and, and Hank actually hired uh, Brian Snitker when, when Hank Aaron was um, in the front office after Hank retired and after Brian Snitker uh, was no longer playing. Um, Hank hired uh, Brian Snitker to be the um, one of the roving instructors and, and part of the front office and the minor league system. And that's where Brian Snitker was for decades. He spent decades as either a coach or a manager or instructor in the Braves minor league system. So he's just a, an Atlanta Brave through and through for 45 years of his career spent uh, with the Braves organization and then got a, finally got a chance to manage. But he talked about Hank Aaron, um, how Hank you know took a chance on him and really gave him an opportunity and then stayed in touch with him. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, he said, uh, Brian Snitker said last night, you never felt like you're working for Hank Aaron. You thought you were working with him. And he talks about the phone calls and the texts and just all the supportive messages that he gave him up until um, you know, as recently as, as last year. Mm-hmm. And look, listen, Emil, folks may not know you have a background in sports broadcasting like I do. It is not always glory when you are playing or managing in the minor leagues, long bus rides. Some could say crappy bus rides. You know, you're not eating in the finest of eateries. You know, it, it's it's a love of the game that you have when you toil down. And it's not always bad, but let's be clear. Minor league is not, uh, you don't get all the... The, the fanciness. No, it's not the not five star hotels and charter flights. You're you're riding buses overnight uh, to get to the next place you're playing. Uh, the hotels, like you said, are of a varying quality in the minor <laughs> leagues, and the ballparks are of varying quality. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you get really nice ballparks with really nice facilities, and other times it's um, it's it's not good. <laughs> yeah. And so. And so, and, and also that, and Brian Snickers talked about this a lot, the time away from family, you know, this is a time that you don't necessarily, you may be playing somewhere that's not your home. So even when you are quote unquote home playing in your home ballpark, that may be hundreds of miles from where you actually live and where your family is. So um, when you make it to the big leagues, yes, that is glamorous. <laughs> yes, that is first class, but getting there is, is not, is not easy and it's not glamorous. Actually, let's uh, hear from um, Brian from last night. We're peaking at the right time. You know, Eddie got hot. The, the pitching got to, was really good, and, and I did. I, I honestly thought, I said, you know what, we can pull this off. We can pull this off. That, that, that's what he's supposed to do, believe in the team. And, and he did, and, and I think that, that confidence that he had, um, you know, I think a lot of people at the start of the playoffs were – um, with the way the season went for the Braves, we're kind of saying, "Well, well, let's kind of you know, let's see how it goes. Let's see how it goes." And then, when as as Brian Snitker said last night, when they beat the Brewers, when they start winning some close games against the Dodgers, it's kind of like, "Well, why not? Mm-hmm. Why not the Braves?" And they had that confidence, and they always were in games, even if they got down a couple of runs, they came right back. And we saw that even in the Brewers and the Dodgers series, and. And then just, you know, going into Houston and silencing the crowd in game one, taking that win. And then last night, just a, you know, seven, nothing uh, drubbing of the Astros in a clinching game is just, uh, you know, total dominance. Emil, was this the game that they had to win? Because if they didn't, then game seven probably was not, the odds weren't in their favor. Yeah, then it kind of, it turns the table completely and it becomes, so much pressure and and the Astros have the home field advantage at that point um, and and it becomes uh, you know one game winner take all and you don't want to be on that in that situation on the road because you'd never know what's going to happen um, so I think it was critical that they took care of business last night and and boy Max Fried really pitched well oh, he had he struggled in the Dodgers yeah. yeah he had struggled in the Dodgers series but he really took command and even when they give him the big lead, that's not always easy to do is pitch with a lead. And, and he really did. He shut down the Astros and um, he really kind of redeemed 
himself from some some starts earlier in the postseason, which weren't the greatest, could be attributed to just um, you know a, a tired arm from the from the long season. Um, but but he really pitched well. All right, Emil, is it too early to talk about uh, how do we keep all these fellas <laughs> for next season? And let's get this question out the way. Yeah. It, does Freddie resign? Is Freddie going to go somewhere else? <laughs> I, you know, I think that they'll do everything in their power to, to bring him back um, next year just because of what he means to the franchise. And he's still, you know, as we saw in this postseason, still a, a great hitter and a, a great performer at first base and a great team leader. So I think they'll do everything they can to sign him. It'll be interesting to see how the outfield shakes out, if, you know, with uh, uh, Acuna Jr., uh, you know, hopefully coming back from from his injury next year. And and then you have kind of a glut of outfielders. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. One thing that, that could be a factor is um, the, the Braves could be very well be playing with a designated hitter next year. Yeah. Um, in the collective bargaining agreement that they're trying to renegotiate, um, there's uh, rumors that uh, you could have the DH in the National League, which would mean the pitcher wouldn't hit. And you would have an extra spot for a hitter like a Jock Peterson, like a Jorge Soler. Mm-hmm. So there may be more uh, more puzzle pieces to fit together. Well, let's talk about Jorge for a second because MVP, I think rightfully so. If I would have had a vote, you had a vote. Did you? Have, did you? No, you weren't in the press box, so you didn't get a vote. <laughs> darn it! Darn it! Darn it! Um, <laughs> had they won it, if they won at home, we might have. I might have gotten a vote. Yeah. Would you have voted for him? Yeah. Um, you know, between he and and Swanson um, in this series. Um, especially with the big hits that Swanson had, I think um, probably Solaire would have been number one choice, and and Swanson, who you know was not necessarily impressive in the first part of the playoffs. Uh, yeah, his really fielding stepped, was a little. Uh, <laughs> his fielding was a little suspect. <laughs> Listen, he's better but than he, me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he stepped up in the last couple of games, and um, you know when when it when it counted, he was he had some big hits. Let's talk about Jorge though in that MVP, uh, the, just the second second only Cuban baseball player to receive that and I don't know if you were there you watched it uh, on television and his his remarks and talking about just receiving that honor yeah and there's just such a, a proud legacy of, of baseball uh, on that island they they love the game they mm-hmm. absolutely love the game and and they play it and they idolize the the heroes that grow up so um, if he gets a chance to go back sometimes they do sometimes they don't to go back to Cuba um, he will uh, certainly get, be given a, a hero's welcome because they definitely love uh, love baseball on that island. And if, if folks don't understand just what it means for so, so many young kids uh, in Cuba, I mean, and they play, listen, they play on these dirt fields. They start at a very young age and they are scouted very early as well. I mean, you think of Levon Hernandez. Yeah, and and there's that 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 complicated uh, relationship with uh, with the U.S. U.S. baseball and Cuba of, of trying to to get um, these players uh, off the island in a legitimate way. Sometimes, mm-hmm. a lot of times, they deal with with smugglers and people are getting them off the island, and and sometimes that money can go back to the government, which uh, which is a whole other uh, topic of discussion, but. Um, but it's an interesting thing, kind of the dynamic of trying to make sure that there's a, a pipeline from mm-hmm. to allow Cuban ball players a, a safe and effective way uh, to get to the United States if they choose to play uh, Major League Baseball. But it's yeah, it's a, it's a passion down there. They stand on the street corners and they and they talk and they talk baseball all the time. All the time. Now, another controversy. It's already started because folks have asked me already. When is the parade? And it better be in Atlanta or it better be in Cobb County. I don't know if I want to get into this argument right now, but the parade is scheduled for when? Uh, we know that it's going to be Friday. The Braves have said it's Friday. Um, apparently, uh, Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms today said that it would be in Atlanta. We don't have any more details about that. Oh. Um, that was reported by our, our pal J.D. Capilouto with the uh, AJC. But um but but we'll see. I, I'm guessing we'll know something either later today or early tomorrow on when uh, on where that the parade is going to be. But it's a it's an interesting dynamic, uh, you know, so far away from from downtown Atlanta to, to Cobb County, at least uh, at least uh, driving wise. So you can't really do a, a slow parade uh, down 75. Uh, if ooh, I had somebody but, call me. And producer Daniel heard it. Someone called me and left me a message and said, Rose, I just want to say, 
that we should not spend our taxpayers' money on a parade for the Braves in Atlanta because they left. And I thought, okay. <laughs> and I said, and producer, also, producer Daniel is is my witness. I said, now come on, let's let's have it in Atlanta, maybe on Hank Aaron Boulevard. I'm okay with that. I'm not getting into this argument. <laughs> but one thing to note is is how much how much publicity Atlanta, the city of Atlanta, got. They don't, you know, the city of Atlanta doesn't pay for the ball. They didn't build a new ballpark nope. for them. They don't pay for the facilities and and the infrastructure. And yet every thing you heard on national television for three weeks, Atlanta, Atlanta, Atlanta. Mm -hmm. So there's <laughs> there's something. <laughs> well, and the other thing, too, folks should understand that there are a lot of sports teams that do not technically where their their field is or, you know, their stadium is not in the actual city that that they bear the name of. Uh, you know, I get it, but they are the Atlanta Braves. We're not going to call them the Cobb County Braves. Let's just be really clear about that. We're just not going to do that. Yeah, and and I think um, you know the the, the city uh, uh, and the mayor's office has has really embraced um, the Braves, even um, despite the fact that they're they're not playing in the city limits anymore. Um, and the real really the whole city has embraced this this team, and they've just been a remarkable story. Emil, it's been great talking with you this postseason. Tomorrow we will have the congratulations from Houston Public Media. And we'll talk about that. Emil Moffitt from Dar WAB Newsroom, sports reporter. People don't know you used to do play by play. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a little known, a little known fact. I heard you, Emil. <laughs> Take care now. All right. Thanks, Rose. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. If you missed any of today's show, it's online at wabe.org slash closer look. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Congratulations, Braves. From WABE Studios, the podcast where they read stories is a new children's storytelling podcast featuring notable Atlantans and performers reading classic and contemporary children's books. Each episode contains a story meant to entertain, inspire, and inform young listeners. No screens required. The podcast where they read stories features adaptations from both chapter books and picture books. Join us at wabe.org slash stories podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. W-A-B-E. Ever wondered where to find the best dumplings in town? Curious about Atlanta's obsession with lemon pepper? Join us on Savory Stories, a new podcast as we uncover the untold tales behind Atlanta's culinary scene. From the roots of your favorite dishes to the creators that bring them to life, we're diving deep into the heart of the city's food culture. Listen to Savory Stories at wabe.org slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. W-A-B-E.